Well, good morning, or whatever time it is that you happen to be viewing uh, this service today. Uh, this is, uh, we're taping this a little bit uh, before it's being shown, so we've had a very cold week. It's uh, been a very snowy week, and uh, a little bit of a glimmer of light as uh, COVID seems to be uh, maybe turning a corner. It's good to have kids back in school. When I was growing up in the uh, then borough of Etobicoke, we lived in uh, distinctive neighborhoods. And so when I'd play football, I often would play against teams that the schools were named for their neighborhoods. So I would play against Alderwood, or I'd play against Thistletown, or I'd play against uh, Long, Long Branch or Mimico. And uh, there, was, there were these distinctive neighborhoods that there were. But every once in a while, my dad would uh, want to bring me over here to Weston. He wanted to get me a deal on some hockey sticks or hockey gloves and he'd bring me over here to Wilts and we very much understood that we were leaving the borough of Etobicoke and we were coming to a village or a town that had a whole different feel to it. And you can imagine what the changes have been since this church which has been here for over a hundred years, has seen in this area called Weston. We have been telling the same story. We have been explaining the same wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ, but the harness makers are gone. The blacksmith is gone. The stables where they used to keep the horses for the delivery trucks are gone. But we still celebrate the table of the Lord and the mode of baptism is the same. No longer do trucks deliver coal that I saw in my lifetime or then after that heating oil for the homes. But very much we celebrate and we worship on Sunday morning. Eaton's is gone, blockbusters, but we still pray and we still read scripture and follow the same church calendar. But not only has Weston remained the same, Weston Baptist Church remained the same, but it looks forward with a great expectation of the future of how God has used it in the past, but is going to use it in the future as the redevelopment of this whole neighborhood takes place very much central on this corner that the church finds itself on. So why is this? Well, are we just a group of stubborn people shaking our fists at a world that's ever-changing and thinking that the world's going to hell in a handbasket? Are we nostalgic for more predictable times, which, of course, never existed? Or are we truly in a wonderful, transformational friendship with the eternal God who loves us and indwells us and allows us to be his hands and feet in this community and the ever-changing city and world that we find ourselves in. We stand together on the rock of Jesus. We are his brothers. We are the children of God. As Paul says in Romans, the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. In the midst of all the complexities and the pain and the joy of what could what could be a better truth than the fact that Weston Baptist Church stands on the truth of that wonderful reality that there is a covenant written in the blood of Christ holding us safe 
and our relationship with him is totally confident and dependent on, on his faithfulness, his love, and grace. Luke chapter 18 introduces us to two individuals with different understandings about a relationship with God. Jesus says he tells this parable because there were some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Looking down on, other, uh, on individuals probably has been part of this area of Weston. I can imagine the Roman Catholics looked at suspicion, suspicion on the Protestants or vice versa. There was probably a pecking order in the immigration uh, uh, that came into this area. And certainly, possibly, the town people looked down on the farm people or vice versa. I was, uh, when we lived in Angola, there was a people there that looked down on us and looked down on everybody else simply because we would eat fish and they wouldn't. And they looked down on everybody because of that. Looking down can sometimes be a very simple thing, but often it can be a very destructive activity. If you look down on individuals, it can allow you to devalue that person. And we can think of extreme examples that end up with indigenous schools, the disaster of apartheid, the Uyghur situation in China, the Rwandan genocide and concentrations camp. At the time of Jesus, if you look down on a woman caught in adultery, you could take her outside the city and have her stoned. And so we run into these two individuals, one's a Pharisee and one is a tax collector. And I don't know about you, but as soon as I'm introduced to a Pharisee in the New Testament, I start looking down at them, only because I've been sort of pre-programmed to that. But the Pharisee, if we met him and if we had them in our neighborhood or in our community, he'd be considered a good person, a fair person, a person who does what he says he's going to do, he deals honestly. If he says he's going to serve in a certain area, he shows up and he does it. He's educated, he's a faithful husband. But beyond that, he's a religious person. He backs up with what he says he believes by his actions and he encourages others to believe in Jehovah God. He is for the most part well thought of. He's certainly better thought of than the other religious group, the Sadducees. He's expected to fast um, uh, on occasion that he fasts twice a week. He gives to the poor and all he does more than is uh, required of the law. And so as we meet this person, he comes and he prays. And as he prays, he says to he stands up and he prays about himself, the text says. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He thanks God for who he is and who he is not. And the tax collector stands a, a way off. And the tax collector, he looks down, and he's not even willing to look up to heaven and he beats his breast, and a sign of the Middle East of, of despondency and despair. And he simply cries out for the mercy 
of God. In reality, if I had my choice, I'd want to live beside the Pharisee. I would despise the tax collector. The tax collector was one who was making money, at the, uh, serving the enemy of the people, serving the Romans, and he was getting rich as he exercised his franchise as a tax collector, lining his own pockets at his own people. If you were one of the disciples of Jesus, and you were a, a fisherman, or you were a, a carpenter, or you were a, uh, anyone else, you would see this tax collector coming, and you're, you would cringe because you knew he was coming after you for money. But the Pharisee compares himself to this tax collector, and he says he is glad that he is not like him. The story is told about the Presbyterian minister who is invited by a member, a high-ranking member of organized crime to do the funeral of his brother who was also very involved in organized crime. And he goes to the, goes to the Presbyterian minister and says, I want you to do my brother's funeral and I want you to tell everybody that he was a saint. The Presbyterian refuses to do it, won't have anything to do with it. And then the man says, well, I'll give you $10,000 to do it. And then the Presbyterian minister said, well, of course, he was a good Presbyterian, I'll do it. And so he gets up at the funeral and he begins to point to the coffin and he says, that man was evil. He ruined our community. He was destructive. He was a drug dealer. He hurt our young people. And then he pointed at his brother who was sitting there and he says, but compared to his brother, he's a saint. And so it's often comparisons get affect the way that in, in which we value ourselves or in, in the way in which we look at others. But in this, as, they, as the Pharisee justifies himself, as he thanks God that he is not like other people, he compares himself to the tax collector. The tax collector is the one who, would, who is, is in humility. He is beating his breast and he is crying out for to God for mercy. And here's where, as so often happens in parables, there is a twist. There is the unexpected. And Jesus then says about the tax collector in comparison to the Pharisee, he says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. How could Jesus say this? Because what Weston Baptist Church has been proclaiming for over 100 years and will continue to proclaim in the years that are ahead is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is totally reliant on the story of Easter the story of Christmas that God has come to us. God has found us. God has reached out to us and expressed his grace and his love and his mercy to us. It is never dependent upon what we are able to do or what, what, what boxes we can check or what good works we can do, but it is totally dependent upon the work of Jesus Christ. Christ. And, and in this, it, it reminds us, as Robert Capone has said, 
Jesus did not come to teach the teachable. He did not come to improve the improvable. He did not come to reform the reformable. None of these things work. Jesus came to raise the dead. This parable has a great life lesson. Of course, we shouldn't look down on other people because that can indeed be devastating. But much more important than that, it tells us the crystal of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus and Jesus' followers break the mold of relationships, that in a world that is very tense, that is very fragmented, in a world where we are suspicious of what people believe and do they believe the proper things and are they correct in the areas of, of what they're thinking, Jesus thunders into, into that and, and, and he says, as, as the apostle Paul describes the work of Jesus Christ, he says, you are all children of God through faith in his mercy, what we're experiencing here. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. This makes the gospel crystal clear. All we can do and all that we can rely upon and all our message is that we are dependent on and wonderfully accepting of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. The Pharisee boasted in what he did and what he didn't do. But we are encouraged not to boast in that, but we boast in the hope of the glory of God, Apostle Paul says to us. And we boast in this because the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that God demonstrated his own love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's never about somehow we're getting it right. Somehow we've arrived at the right thing and therefore God is delighted and pleased with us, but it, we are always dependent upon his mercy, and we always can enjoy that wonderful relationship, but that in turn allows us to be Jesus' hands and, and feet in here where we are not looking suspiciously at one another, but because we are clothed in Christ, we are one in unity together. And oh my goodness, how the world needs this. The world needs to hear this in, in all of the brokenness, in all of the fear, in all of the suspicion. We as a church are international in nature. We are multi-generational in nature. And we recognize that as in this story, both the Pharisee, both the tax collector, hopelessly lost, but also were wonderfully loved. And all the Pharisee had to do and all was to join with the tax collector in simply putting his, 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 his works aside and simply relying and crying out for the very mercy of God. And we've had that invitation and many of us have turned and we have said yes to that call and, and accepted the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. But as we do this, we know that that impacts a culture. I believe it was on Boxing Day, this past Boxing Day, that we woke up to the news that Bishop Desmond Tutu had passed away. And Desmond Tutu was a man who had been a great follower of Jesus Christ, 
a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but he was used along with other great leaders in South Africa to transform really the world as they broke the chains of apartheid. But Desmond Tutu believed that it was important for him to reach out to the oppressed, but also to the oppressor that he believed that the oppressor needed the mercy and the grace of God because their oppression was destroying their own souls. The Truth and Reconciliation Committee that was set up, the council that was set up, was not just to you know, sort out the rights and wrongs. It was to deliver the oppressor from their own darkness, from their own uh, evil, so they could be recipients, uh, recipients of the mercy and forgiveness of God. So, how do we? What do we do with all of this? Paul says, "As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience." if we're recipients of this mercy, if indeed God has justified us because of the work of Jesus Christ, we are actually to be clothed in Jesus. And as a result of that, we will reflect the compassion, the kindness, the humility, the gentleness, and the patience. Well, that certainly isn't anything that comes easily to me. And therefore, it is totally dependent, as Paul said, that that's got to come as, as Jesus Christ enters me and transforms me. That's why in the, the verse that we referred to before about us neither being male nor female, Jew nor Greek, it says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And as we explore what it is to be clothed in Christ and we can be filled with God's Holy Spirit, we explore it by allowing us to be still and to hear the very living word of the Holy Spirit through Jesus coming to us, of spending time in his written word, the Bible, of being people of quiet, allowing us to have times to pray, and certainly as we pray, we speak to God. But we also have to be people who listen to God, to be still and to allow our spirits to be in tune with God, the Holy Spirit, as he speaks to us. At the end of this parable, Jesus says this, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And the wonderful, encouraging thought of that is not that somehow people are going to get what they deserve. It is simply this, that no matter what we think is going on in our world, whatever we think are the powers that be in our world, Jesus is the one who determines what is really happening in our world. He is simply saying, this is the way the world works. He who exalts himself will be humbled. 
Why? Because Jesus has created the world that way. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Why? Because Jesus has created that world that way. And even though we as a community and as a, as a society live as if there is no God and live independent of all that, the spiritual force and the presence of the resurrected Jesus is very much at hand and very much in place. And therefore, we can re rely and we can turn to the wonderful mercy of God that is extended to us through Jesus Christ. And in the midst of all the confusion and everything in the tenseness that may be part of your world, you can hear the, the presence and the love of Jesus Christ reaching out to you. And then in the middle of sometimes we get afraid in this world, we can hear these words of Jesus and just know Jesus is in control. Jesus will uh, bring history to an end when he wants to. There will come a time when every knee will bow. Every knee will confess that Jesus is Lord. And so, Weston, be encouraged by these words. Be strengthened by these words and enjoy what it is to be recipients of the mercy of God. Amen.